This is a Federal News Network podcast. The deep freeze that nearly took out Texas has sent a chill up the spines of the armed services brass and of Congress. The widespread paralysis was a reminder of what could happen to military installations. Now there's a new push on Capitol Hill to make military bases more energy independent. Part of this week's DOD Reporter's Notebook with Scott Mossioni and Jared Serbu. Scott, we'll start with you. The idea of military bases being energy independent is not a new one. Sounds like it's getting a renewal, though. It is. If you remember, last week we had a huge storm in Texas with lots of ice, left millions of people without power. And because of that, uh, Congress is really concerned about the independence and the resiliency of their bases. Now, that's not only for things like ice, but for really everything around climate change. But they're thinking that this Texas situation is one that they'll really be able to look into. The House Armed Services Readiness Subcommittee Chairman, Representative John Garamendi, had something to say on that. To assess Texas and what happened on the basis, given a storm and uh, deep freeze in Texas, uh, it'll be a case study on resiliency uh, with the uh, major bases in Texas. And we'll be reviewing that, uh, keeping in mind that we have already written law that the bases need to be paying attention to resiliency. And Scott, is this a concern? We know it's a concern on Capitol Hill, but are the brass in the military also, do they share that worry? Yeah, I think they're especially concerned about it now that we're in near-peer competition. Before, we were fighting a more degraded sort of enemy, one that really wasn't able to overtake our technological advantage. Now, in this sense, Russia or China, they're a rival that may be able to compromise certain areas like electromagnetic spectrum and assets like electricity. So when we are are hoping to have a base that's uh, resilient and working at a time when we're in this near-peer competition, it's important that they have these uh, separate ways of powering themselves if, uh, you know, the infrastructure were to go down because of some major attack. And will the Hill fund these efforts to create these independent infrastructures at each base and installation? I don't really think we're at a funding level yet. Right now, it's more of a assessing level. Uh, Congress has looked into climate change and how it's affecting extreme weather and how it's affecting bases, all those sorts of things. And what they're finding out is really a lot of critical bases are susceptible to things like drought, hurricanes, floods, and everything else you can possibly think of. So one of the things that they're hoping to do is to really get a better idea of this and then kind of figure out how to go forward with this. Now, some of the ways they might do this is team up with corporations that are trying to build out infrastructure in different ways, create smart grids and all that sort of stuff. Uh, So it it remains to be seen how they end up funding this. But for now, they're definitely making sure that for future plans uh, and future bases like Tendal in uh, in Florida, that they'll be building buildings that are more climate friendly and also more resilient to climate change. And was there any damage or lack of readiness to the Texas installations, by the way? Well, we really haven't been able to assess that yet, and I think that's one of the things that the chairman is hoping to assess once uh, they have this hearing. We will find out how they did. We know that some of the bases did close down, uh, at least for people who are commuting to the base. That's not necessarily something that's completely out of this world, but there was a definite change in the way that they're doing. We're speaking with Federal News Network Scott Massioni, and we also have Jared Serbu standing by. But Scott, I wanted to also ask you about the military housing is also on the readiness subcommittee's agenda. What are they looking at now? It's, it's a perennial issue. And the problem is, is that really these military members are still just not getting the results that they want through the housing. Now, we've had a lot 
of promises from DOD. They plan to spend an additional $120 million a year on the issue. They've hired new employees. We have promises from the contractors. However, as Representative Garamundi explains here. The one thing that has yet to be completed is the Tenants Bill of Rights. Uh, we want that done so that there's clarity as to the responsibility of the um, privatized housing companies. The second thing we'll be watching is, are the base commanders paying attention? That was Representative John Garmundi. He's the uh, chair of the Readiness Subcommittee. And you know, one of the things that he mentioned is how the, the Tenant Bill of Rights is not finished up. And what they're really missing are the parts of the Tenant Bill of Rights that hold the most uh, bite to them. That's having a maintenance history of the house, a process for dispute resolution, and withholding of rent until disputes are resolved. He also mentioned that the government just really needs to step up and make sure that the base commanders are paying attention, uh, that they're listening to their soldiers, and they're not. Uh, there's no retribution, which was one of the issues in the past. Uh, I think they may have clamped down pretty well on that, but uh, still something they're going to keep an eye on. All right, Jared Serbu, let's turn to you for a minute. And there is a major move for the workforce, the acquisition workforce in DOD to get back to the basics. What's going on there? Yeah, that's actually called back to basics. And, and, and really what DOD is trying to do here is is recognize the fact that defense acquisition has changed a lot over the past few decades. But the way they train and develop the acquisition workforce really has been the same since roughly 1990 when the Defense Acquisition Workforce Improvement Act was first enacted, when the Defense Acquisition University was was first created. And over those years, there's just been an accretion of additional quote-unquote, acquisition reforms, new regulations, and those have all just gotten translated into new training that's been layered onto the acquisition workforce. The effort here is to strip it down to its bare essence. What does, in this case, a contracting officer really need to know before they get going on the job? And so what happened last week is DOD rolled out the new um, training model for one part, a very large part of the acquisition workforce, which is the contracting workforce. And in this particular case, they're stripping down what had been 650 hours of required training in order to become a contracting professional down to just 200. And then what what you do on top of that is you take specialized training that's actually relevant to the sorts of projects that you as a contracting officer are working on over the course of your career. And, and you're using more of a lifelong learning model rather than just front-loading all of your training at the beginning of your career. So this is going to happen across the rest of the acquisition workforce as well. DOD has organized, or I should say reorganized, the acquisition workforce down into six different functional areas. There had been about a dozen before that, and, and all six of these are going to have these more streamlined training requirements implemented theoretically by October. Because there's also the issue that new policy and new regulation sometimes doesn't get right down to the CO level the way at least contractors think it should. Recently, there's been a resurgence in the use of lowest price technically acceptable in instances where perhaps it should not be. And the feeling is the contracting officers aren't getting that message. That very well could be something that's that's going on. And, and yes, it, it may well be that by moving to this more continuous learning model, changes in policy uh, get not just communicated, but but trained 
more frequently to the people who really need to know them. And, and that's going to be one of the more interesting things to watch as Back to Basics rolls out. It's really going to require Defense Acquisition University, which is going to have the lead role here, to change the way they, they present their, their course offerings, um, make them more flexible, make them more, as, as DOD says, just in time, probably more delivered electronically than in brick-and-mortar brick schoolhouses. So big changes for DAU as well. And, Scott, just briefly, there is a move in DOD to tighten up the drug supply chain used by the military medical establishment because of fears that some of the ingredients are coming from China? That's right. A lot of them are coming from China, especially from generic drugs. Uh, Right now, they're really just kind of looking into what drugs are an issue and how they're going to deal with it. However, uh, the Department of Defense and Health and Human Services have spent more than $60 million on a contract to develop their own domestic production capability for critical active pharmaceutical agents, another $20 million for a contract awarded to develop a domestic production capability, something they're working on, still assessing, and uh, will plan on getting a report to Congress fairly soon. Federal News Network's DOD reporter Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu. Check out their DOD reporter's notebook now online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.